Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, thank you, John, uh, for leading us uh, the, the live worship with your electric guitar. And also thank you, Shalene, for reading the cross-reference uh, scripture reading. And uh, Elder Victor for uh, giving us the announcement. And also like to thank uh, those behind the scene doing the spotlight, uh, the slides, and especially uh, Sue, who has been uh, faithfully serving us in making sure this uh, our service uh, is run properly. Okay, today we will come uh, to uh, study the book of Acts, uh, chapter 3. Previously in chapter 2, we saw the pouring out of the Holy Spirit during the day of Pentecost, uh, as prophesied by Prophet Joel. And people were speaking in other languages about the mighty works of God. And Peter gave his first sermon. And after the sermon, 3,000 people received his word and they were baptized. And, and Pastor Wong then last week shared with us how the Jerusalem church devoted themselves in the teaching of the apostles, in their fellowship, uh, in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. They even sold their possession to share with those who are in need. And that was how the early church started. And today we'll continue with the sermon uh, by reading uh, chapter 3. I will read and uh, you can follow because the sermon will be based on uh, the text. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for arms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. He clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our father, Glorify his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over, denied in the presence of Pilate, 
when he had decided to release him. But you deny the Holy and Righteous One and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you kill the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he does fulfill. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and for those came after him, also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning away, turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word and thank you for this time that we can come together to worship together as a church. Lord, we pray the Lord you'll be with us and pray the Lord you will uh, fill us with the spirit and help me too, O Lord, to deliver your word faithfully and also to help the listeners uh, to open their hearts and ears to listen uh, to what you have to say. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. If you look at chapter 3, you find that there are two parts uh, in chapter 3. The first is that miracle of healing of the lame beggar. And then the second is Peter's second sermon uh, since the Pentecost. And in the first story of the healing of the lame man, we see two apostles of very different personality are doing ministry together, Peter and John. Peter, as you know, is always uh, known to be bold. He's known to be outspoken. He was the one who cut off the Malchus years uh, at the night when uh, Jesus was betrayed. Well, John is always associated with kindness and focus on loving others. And we can see the huge contrast uh, between the two uh, at the time when Jesus was crucified. Peter denied Jesus three times, whilst John remained faithful, and he was at the scene of the crucifixion when Jesus was killed. And what brought them together again, I believe, 
was the risen Christ who appeared to them and, empower, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as promised uh, by Jesus uh, before his death. Both of them have different gifts, different temperaments, uh, different personality, but they can work together and they actually complement uh, each other. So their close relationship between Peter and John, as we see, remind us in the context of our own church that we too are very different. All of us have different gifts. We have different strengths, different weaknesses. But that is not an obstacle for us to serve together. We are able to serve one another with our different gifts and talents because of our common goal to serve the Lord, just as Peter and John did. In fact, our diverse backgrounds and gifts serve to implement one another, to complement one another, to help us to exercise our gifts more effectively. And I believe that was what was happening at the early church, where they share bread, their fellowship, devoted their time together in the word and in prayers. So the story started off with Peter and John walking up to the temple for the evening prayer at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. And there was this man who has just started his daily routine as a beggar. He was not able to walk to his workplace because he was born lame. And in the first century context, that is bad news. To be a person with this serious disability is like having a death sentence pronounced against him. It is like a sentence to a lifetime of poverty. So in their context, not only that a lame man was regarded as economic liability of the family, but also an enormous economic burden to the society then. And that is why in John's night, if you remember, people asked Jesus a question about the blind man. Whose sin was it that the man was born blind? That's how people treat people with disability uh, during uh, that time. The lame man was not able to earn a, a decent living, but he has to beg to get by. And even that, he had to be carried by his friends or his relatives to the gates of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate. Or the lame man was, lame man was smart in the sense that he chose a good spot to ask for money. You know, because Jewish law requires the devotees to help the needy. So that was the right place to beg for money. And we were told as Peter and John was about to enter the temple, the man asked them for money as usual. And I do believe uh, many of us have this uh, experience of being asked by beggars for change whether by the five-foot way or in a coffee shop while having your meal. 
So when we are not giving anything, we normally avoid eye contact. We don't look at the person. We just ignore them or say, no, just shake our head. But that is not what Peter and John did. If you notice, Peter and John actually had compassion on the beggar. And they look at the beggar in his eyes and ask him to look at them. I think the, the beggar must be very excited because he expected something big from these two men because of the eye contact. But to his disappointment, that was not what Peter and John did. Peter and John said to him, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Actually, we're not sure whether the lame man felt insulted. He may be thinking that Peter and John were trying to humiliate him like a bully. Not only were they not giving him any money, they may look as if they were making fun of his congenital, congenital disability. To ask him to walk, rise up and walk, they must be joking. The lame man had no idea how it was like to walk, to stand up. He never experienced the walk, walking since he was born. And in verse 7, uh, the Bible tells us that Peter had to take him by the right hand and raise him up. And at that moment, a transformation happened. The lame man's feet and his ankle were strengthened and made strong. And he suddenly had a new pair of feet. He must have known a miracle had happened because he leaped up and he stood and he walked for the first time. Can you imagine that, how he felt? Yes, indeed, a miracle had just happened. There was no question about the authenticity of the miracle because people recognized him as the one who backed at the temple gates for years. They were actually downfounded by what just happened. And you look at chapter 4, even the Sadducees, who is against them, who arrested Peter and John, confirmed that miracle by saying that a notable sign had been performed and they could not deny it. So it actually happened. So the man asked for some money. He expected some spare change, but what he actually received went far beyond his expectation. He has got a new pair of anchor and feet. His entire life was transformed just like us. When you come to think of this example, sometimes we, we, we feel like we too, just like the lame man, our expectation from God is too little. We ask in, sometimes we ask in our prayers for things which is not significant to God in God's eyes. Things which could be worldly. We only ask for money, material gain sometimes. But at times, we fail to see the true depths of our needs. We ask God to change the difficult circumstances we are in. 
We don't like suffering. We don't want to be short of money. We don't like to be uh, unhealthy. Of course, that's fine. But sometimes we have to consider asking God to change us so that we can find joy in any circumstances. Paul taught us in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And in spite of the circumstances, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's pretty or ugly, or whatever the case may be, we rejoice. In fact, we, some of us received uh, a WhatsApp message from Pastor Micah yesterday. That was the lesson he learned from his illness recently. And he believed that that's how God is teaching him how to rejoice even in the suffering and to get rid of all other desires which is not holy. And I believe that that's the thing we should do uh, in our prayers. Expect great things for God and not for ourselves in terms of uh, prosperity or other security. And don't be fooled uh, by the prosperity gospel. Uh, it is not a true gospel. And Peter and John did not promise prosperity. Silver and gold I do not have, but the new life they gave to the beggar. Of course, that's not given by them through their own power, but by Jesus. The Bible tells us that God does not promise prosperity in this life, but what he does promise is his spirit and power over sin. God does not promise wealth, but he does promise contentment in Christ. We should not easily be distracted by what this world has to offer us. When Jesus can offer us so much more that we could ever have imagined. So after experiencing his new life with his new feet, the layman clung to Peter and John and praising God while walking with them to enter the temple court. Walking and leaping and praising God. And you look at uh, the prophecy of Isaiah in 53.6. It says that then the lame will leap like a deer. And in this story, I think Luke is trying to say that the prophecy is refuted in this uh, healing of the lame man. He was leaping and praising God and entering into the temple. The fact that the, the, the former lame man was able to enter the temple is very significant. If you know the Leviticus law in Leviticus 21.18, uh, people with disabilities were prohibited from entering the temple. That includes the blinds and the lame. They were regarded as unclean. The fact that they could enter the gates of the temple shows that he had been completely healed. The lame man has been healed completely. He is no longer unclean. He was able to enter the temple. 
And another significance of the miracle is that it was it happened during the evening prayer time. And the fact that the man walked straight to the temple with Peter and John suggests that he knew the source of the healing. He was going to thank and praise God in his temple. Not only the lame man had a new pair of feet, he had a new life, he also had a new status. He was unclean and prohibited to enter the temple, but now he was made clean and able to enter the temple to worship God and to praise God. So the people in the temple was amazed by the miracle performed by Peter and John. They gathered around them, Peter and John, at the Solomon's portico. portico. And Peter noticed the crowd and their amazement. And he took opportunity to preach a sermon to them. The first thing Peter was, did was to clarify that the miracle performed by them was not actually from them. They know that they would think that the miracles performed was because, by them was because of their piety, because of their ability. But he corrected them. He corrected their misconception and directed their attention to the real miracle worker. That is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it was Jesus who healed the lame man. It was by faith in his name that the man was healed. And all glory and all honor should go to Jesus. In fact, the chief purpose of Jesus' miracle uh, in the New Testament uh, was to authenticate Jesus as the Messiah and to authenticate his message of salvation. And that was what Peter and John was doing. And Peter's second sermon to the people, if you notice that it was a Christ-centered sermon. We always hear this term in our church as we focus on expository and Christ-centered sermons. Peter preached to the people about the true identity and the glory of Jesus. How they had dishonored Jesus during the trial. And he called, Peter called them to repent. In fact, you, if you, you see Peter exalted the name of Jesus uh, by calling Jesus in five different destinations. The first is that during the miracle of healing, Peter called upon the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Is referring to this person, Jesus, who is from Nazareth, but he's the Christ, he's the anointed one who healed the lame. But then later in verse 13, Peter says it was their own God. He was God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, who glorified his servant, Jesus. And this title, Servant, will remind us of the prophecy in Isaiah 52 to 53, where Isaiah referring to this Messiah as the suffering servant, which they had dishonored. 
by calling Jesus as servant here, I think Peter was consciously claiming that Jesus fulfilled the Isaiah passages. And Jesus was also referred to as the Holy and Righteous One in verse 14. Back then, you only call God as the Holy and Righteous One. If you were to call a mere man with that designation, that would be a heresy. That will be blasphemous, blasphemous. And Peter was clearly evoking the divinity of Jesus. And in, in verse 15, Jesus is called the author of life. He's the prince of life. He's the originator of life. And in John 1, 3, says says of him, he says, all things were made through him. That's Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. He also maintains creation, as shown in Colossians 1.17. It says about Jesus, and he is before all things, and in, he, in him all things hold together. And Jesus is also described as the ruler of the creation, is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords in Revelation 19.16. So Peter also identified Jesus uh, in verse 15, uh, in verse 22, as the prophet foretold uh, by Moses. He was quoting Deuteronomy uh, 15, where he said, they shall listen to him in whatever he tells them. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. So Jesus is the seed of the woman that crushed the serpent's head. He is the descendant of King David who reigns on the throne forever and ever. And in short, Jesus is the long prophesied Messiah who saves his people and turns them from their wickedness. Peter and John was pointing the crowd attention to Jesus and his true identity. But at the same time, Peter also was very upfront with them. He gave a very straightforward, like straight to your face sermon to the crowd. Peter described the fourfold dishonor they showed to their Messiah, what they have done to this Messiah. And in verse 13, Peter says this, You delivered God's servant over to be killed. You denied him in the presence of Pilate when he decided to let him go. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for bearers to be freed. And you, and you killed the author of life. So what an irony. The Messiah they demanded Pilate to kill the Messiah, the author of life. And at the same time, they saved the life of a murderer, the Barabbas. They had actually committed a heinous crime against the holy and righteous one. And they deserve to die from these egregious sins. 
but all is not lost. The author of life that you kill, according to Peter, God raised him from the dead. And in fact, Peter himself and many other apostles and uh, disciples witnessed the resurrected Christ, resurrected Christ. So if you think you are too bad a person, a person you've done so much wrong that you are beyond salvation, maybe you should think again. You look at them. You look at the crowd. What they have done to the Son of God, to the author of life, to the holy and righteous one. Even Peter himself, Peter denied Jesus for three times. And he was used mightily by God as the apostle to perform miracles and to preach the good news of the resurrected Christ. Peter was harsh in a way in his sermon, but Peter assured them that the hope that is in Jesus. Peter understand that what they did to Jesus, it was done out of ignorance. Even Jesus himself at the cross. With his dying breath, Jesus asked God to forgive them for they know not what they did. In fact, the death of the suffering Messiah is also God's sovereign plan to save his people. That does not mean that they are not guilty because they are still responsible for their own actions and ignorant of, their, of, of the identity of Christ as God. And ignorant is not a defense. They still have blood on their hands. They need to be rescued from their sins against the holy God. But out of God's mercy and of his abundant love for his people, God sent this suffering servant, Jesus, his only begotten son, to bear their wickedness on the cross so as to provide them a way to go to the Father. So Peter urged them in verse 19 to repent from their wickedness and to turn to Christ. Repentance, as according to Albert uh, Moeller in his commentary, he gave five, four, four essential aspects of re repentance. He says that repentance must be intellectual, it must be emotional, it must be volitional, and it must be spiritual. What does he mean? Intell intellectually, when we repent, we must have an awareness and understanding that we have done wrong. And emotionally, we must hate sin as God does. And we must also have an earnest desire to change and sin no more. And finally, we must believe that Christ is faithful and just to forgive all sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness when we confess our sins. And this is the kind of repentance Peter was talking about. So Peter calls the people to uh, repent and to turn to Christ. And he also gave three blessings that uh, will flow from uh, a genuine repentance. In, verse, in verses 19 to 23, 
He gives three blessings they will receive from God when they repent and turn to God. The first is that your sin may be blotted out. And the second is that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that God may send the Christ appointed for you. The Bible is clear about our sins will be wiped out when we truly repent. There will be no record of our sins because Jesus has taken upon himself all our sins on the cross. We no longer need to bear the penalty of our sins because they have been fully paid, like what we sang just now. And it has been forgiven by the sacrificial love of Jesus. So there's no question about it. Our sins will be blotted out when we repent. And secondly, as we see, we have seen in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost and for those who have repented. We can find rest, we can find relief and refreshment because we have been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. I believe all of us have this experience when we are working for a long time under the hot sun and was looking for shelter. And then suddenly you, you, you saw a place where a restaurant where there is fully air conditioning and they sell drinks, cold drinks. So you rush in, inside the, the restaurant and order your favorite cold drink and enjoy the coolness of the aircon. That will be very refreshing. It's, spiritual speaking, it, it feels like that. Our spirit will be refreshed because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not only our sins have been taken away, but God has added refreshment to our spirit because of the work and the promise of Christ. And that will be the second blessing uh, from repentance. And finally, Peter says about this third blessing. He says that God may send the Christ appointed for you. If you look at verse 21, it makes it clear that this refers to the second coming of Christ. When nature will be liberated from its bondage to pain and decay, and God will make a new heaven and new earth. That will be also the time when Jesus will come again to pronounce that final judgment. Those of us who heed the call of Peter to repent, to receive the blessing of the coming of Jesus, but those who refuse to receive him or outright rejection of Jesus, they will have to face judgment from King Jesus, the Holy and Righteous One. And Jesus Christ will be coming for us and not against us if we receive his gift of salvation. So these are the three blessings that will flow from our genuine repentance. And in verse 26, Peter makes, makes it also clear that the blessings are for the Jews first, but it's not exclusively for Jews. The Bible is clear that the gospel is also for the Gentiles, like for us, non-Jews. In fact, in chapter 10 of 
book of Acts, you will see Peter preach the gospel to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And the New Testament makes clear that God's promise to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and the church. Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham in Galatians 3.16. And those of us who have repented, we are united to Jesus by faith and we are Abraham's offsprings. So we may think that we are not as bad as the Jews. We did not kill Jesus. We did not commit the heinous crimes against God, which deserve such a severe punishment. But the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible in Romans 2, 3, 23, Paul says that all have sinned and we are fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. Apostle John himself in 1 John 1, 8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But John does not stop there. He continues to say in verse 9, 1 John 1, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And though the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So dear brothers and sisters and friends, the healing of the lame man is a true story recorded in the first century. But it's not only about the disability of the lame man being healed. That's not the main point. I believe that it is an illustration by Luke of the condition of our souls. If we are honest with ourselves, if we look at, look deep into our own hearts and souls, we will agree with Paul that all have sinned. You and me, we all have all sinned. And before a holy and righteous God, we are unclean and we are unable to come before the presence of God by ourselves. And without a miracle of healing, we are spiritually crippled like the lame man. We are unable to walk the path of righteousness. Peter has told us how we can be healed from our spiritual lameness. That is to repent and to turn to Jesus. So if we truly repent, we will receive the free gifts of salvation uh, prepared for us, but at a great price of Jesus' death. And that will be the most miraculous gift of all. And friends, if you have not received this free gift of salvation, I urge you to seriously consider it and to talk to us if you need to know more about this gift. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who have been blessed by this free gift of God, let us leap with joy and cling to Jesus and to follow him. May we also enjoy the times of refreshing brought about by the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in us. Let us live our lives 
in such a way that glorified Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And when we see him face to face at his second coming, may we hear from his mouth, the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ, telling us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, message of repentance and this uh, gift of salvation. Lord, we have seen how you have used Peter and John uh, to heal the man born lame from birth and how you have uh, urging people uh, to repent and turn to you. Lord, may you also help us to examine ourselves. Uh, for those of us who have already received this a gift of salvation, to look within ourselves, whether we have been obedient to your word and also to follow your teaching and to rejoice in you in all circumstances. Have we done what we have been called to do as your follower after receiving this great gift? May you help us to continue to meditate on your words, to devote our time uh, in studying your word, in, in prayers, in fellowship among us, so that our church will be the church that is pleasing to you, that is acceptable to you, that is glorifying to you. Lord, for those who have yet to know you, we pray the Lord, you will convict him, convict them with your Holy Spirit and to bring them before you to repent and turn to you so that they may uh, receive this great gift of salvation too. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.